Off top, in 1943, due to World War II, the Steelers and the Eagles combined to become the Steagles for that entire season. Somehow they didn't win the championship, but they did have a game where they had 10 fumbles, which is a record to this day. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Told y'all I had a good one. Now it's a good one. It's a great off true? top. Fuck, you think I make up off tops? <laughs> I don't know. What type, of, what type of maniac do you think I am? Uh, yeah, it's a real thing. I was just reading the the. Uh, so you think that you think I made up the fact that it happened, and I made up the ten fumbles in one game? I'm deep in the wiki page. The the term Steagles is something that you or I would make up. <laughs> yeah, so um, World War II, people got sent off to fight, and uh, apparently the country needed entertainment, so they brought back baseball because the president ordered it, or not ordered it, but requested it. Nobody requested the NFL to come back, but they came back anyway because it's the NFL, and the team didn't have enough players. They had a few people mm-hmm. who had deferments, enough on two teams, smashed them together. The head coaches got in a fight. Oh, yeah. I'm a rabbit hole guy. You know this about me. I've been in this rabbit hole for a minute. Hopefully uh, we can manage to bring this back to something else that is relevant. I wonder who owned that team. Speaking of owners, Jim Ursay. Look at that segue I just gave you. I'm a pro. So (laughs) Jim Ursay was the owner a couple of days ago, uh, or he is the owner of the Colts. And he was the owner who they pushed out there to push out the message to Daniel Snyder. Uh, Well, to all of us and obviously directly at Daniel Snyder that they do have enough votes and his behavior is something that they no longer want the league to be associated with. Okay, I'm cynical as hell, as you know, but I don't even think you have to be that cynical to see what's happening here. Like the story we talked about this when the Wickersham, Van Nada and Tisha Tisha Thompson piece came out, how it wasn't like some investigative report it was something that clearly they wanted out there and owners didn't want their name attached to it but they wanted to know they wanted this story out there because i think that was like the first like warning shot and i i guess that they probably had some private correspondence with dan snyder's like hey why don't you go ahead and slide and he's like nah i'm not going anywhere so they're like all right we'll leak this story that he hasn't responded the way that they hoped and so now they're like all right We'll put Jim Mercy out there, which by now, I assume that everyone's already made the obvious conclusion that the story was Dan Snyder had dirt on all the owners and they put Jim Mercy out there. The owner who is not afraid if Dan Snyder had dirt, he's not afraid of anyone releasing his dirt because his dirt's already been out there. Um, I think they found a ton of pills and cash in his car. Like there's a lot of you can go into Jim Arce's wiki if you're trying to get informed. But that's interesting and funny also. But this made me think about Draymond Green and the podcast that we did not too long ago where I kind of pointed out how player empowerment is like a net good for the NBA for a lot of reasons. But the most significant one, the most relevant one right now is because – they kind of are the reason or one of the major reasons why the NBA was able to force out some like owners that they don't want to be associated with. And Draymond Green comes to mind because he made a good point 
uh, on his new media podcast, he said that they should have the vote, have the vote because he wants the owners to stand up and be counted. And this was the Sarver case where it's like, all right, who's going to defend Robert Sarver is essentially what he's saying. Like, who has the guts to do this publicly? And the NFL is hiding behind a second report right now to delay uh, having to make a vote and hoping that Daniel Snyder will walk away before then. But there is nobody in the NFL who is as powerful as any of the top 15 to 20 um, basketball players or as, as powerful in their game as them, because we all know, I mean, aside from the big name quarterbacks, nobody moves the needle like that. And the culture in football is a lot more uh, conservative, militaristic, uh, hierarchical. And it's just not something that you see football players doing that much, uh, stepping out and calling for accountability in the way that you would see and expect, frankly, a LeBron James to do it. But I would love, like, I feel like maybe it's the corner that I can take out. No one cares, or they don't care what I say necessarily, but have the vote. What are you waiting on? Like, we have, you had one reputable report already that you didn't get, that you got um, reported to you orally because you didn't want a paper trail getting out. I'm sorry, Charlie. I'm, I'm getting ranty. I want to know what you have to say about it. No, 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 no. No, because I think that you're at the, you are at, the final step of this, which is have the vote. And that's where this is leading to. And I think that's right. Have the vote. But, and this has been reported. I really think that what was so significant about what Ursay said and what Ursay did is he let us know that there is one final outcome of this. Daniel Snyder is not going to be the long-term owner of the Washington commanders, which is a major step that we did not, that we, you and I, and many others were cynical about what would make that happen. And him making a fool of the league seems to have been the final step along with, you know, numerous allegations that we don't need to roll through over the last 20 plus years. Was it him making a fool of the league or was it about them being the number one or at least a top five financial market in America and being the, the least profitable team in a league that has teams in small market cities? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. But that's all, but that's a huge part of it too, because they have three options. The option one was to try and, handle this quietly and have Daniel Snyder sell the team and have him go off with a ton of his money, be good with it, leave on amicable terms. Everyone pretend this never happened, wiped our hands clean of it. And we didn't have to remove anyone from our club. That's what they wanted to do, but Snyder wasn't going to do that. So that is off the table. Now Uh, the ESPN article on this talked about freezing him out financially. And this is what I think they would go down this path now, which is don't let him have a stadium. Don't help him in any single way. Have it become an untenable situation. So he's forced to sell. I think that's the option two that they would want to have. And option three is the nuclear button where they all have to sort of like huddle around each other and be like, we're going to vote this bleep hole out of the league because we don't want to deal with it anymore. And it's crazy. It's not crazy. It should have happened a long time ago, but it's wild that given that Daniel Snyder has to know deep down that he's not going to be the long-term owner of his team, that he's going to go out kicking and screaming and clawing at the floor the way he is. And that's what I find fascinating about this because we know he's gone. He will be gone. We know that. I don't think that he, in his mind, thinks he's going down kicking and screaming. He thinks that he's going to win this. And I don't completely understand how you can financially freeze him out. He can't get a stadium because he's a pariah. Like the league, um, and he's not going to pay for it himself, but the league 
they can they can deny right. debt waivers can, for him, yeah. so he can't finance it. Right. Yeah. They can, but I don't think that that he was relying on that anyway. Like he was the expectation was the publicly funding it. But anyway, yeah, that was an I believe that that again was something that they wanted in that story because they're trying to communicate to Daniel Snyder, like, look, we can make it ugly for you. I don't actually think that's a reasonable strategy. The other the strategy that that is probably potentially reasonable is the um the Adam Silver or not Adam Silver, the Donald Sterling strategy where you like force the ownership into the hands of his wife and then encourage her to to uh, sell the team. They could potentially do that, but I don't believe that even if you vote and I, I should probably look this up to be sure, but even if you vote, you can't vote to force somebody to sell the team, but you can vote to force them out of the league. So I, I guess he could still. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we can we can cut that because that doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. But um, I was wondering what he would actually do, because I don't think that you can force to sell him, but he would just transfer the ownership over to his wife or whatever. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Leave all that out. Um, I find it interesting because we talked about this before. He it feels like nothing else in his life is this important, important or fulfilling to him. So why not go out fighting and it's past the point where he could have some sort of graceful exit with pride because I mean, his, his um, public image image has been tarnished to the point that I imagine that he believes that if he could stick around and rebuild this team and win a Super Bowl, then, and only then like, that's the only way that he gets any respect back, back, which is sad, but I think we all understand that that's probably true. So I don't know. We can wait for the next shooter drop, but I do think it's fair to like put pressure on the owners for why they didn't vote at the recent meetings that they had. What else do you think you're going to find out? You already had one report done. You know that this the next report is going to say the same things that the first report said. And you don't get to walk out there and try to take the high ground and say, this is not what we stand for. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is until you, until you don't, you know, it's something that you do represent and you're comfortable with because he is you and you are him. So I don't know. Is there anything else on this that uh, is interesting? Well, I think that's a really interesting point. Last thing, and it, it ties into a quote that Jim Irsay had in his little impromptu press conference where he said, I believe it's in the best interest of the NFL to look squarely, look it squarely in the eyes and deal with it. I think America expects us to as leaders and this was interesting to me because there's always been talk in the NFL, protect the shield, protect the shield, protect the brand. But really it was the shield protecting the owners who had been damaging the shield. And this is the first, this is actually the first time the owners like, nah, we need to protect this thing that we're all mutually invested in because this is despicable. And, and that, that, that is beyond the financial aspect of it. They're like, Jim Irsay is like, this is a line in the sand. This is too far. This is too much. And I, it's, I, I get being cynical and saying that it's just that there's the financial aspect of it too. But on a human level, it was important to hear someone with that much power, that much wealth, and that much being shielded from all of this to actually go out and say this, this is wrong. It is uh, an opportunity for the league. Um, Washington, if anybody who uh, knows anything about the history of the Washington football team, uh, they were the last team, I believe, to integrate. And and D.C. is known as the chocolate city. Uh, the 
at least at one point was the blackest city in the entire country and also like the most successful uh, collection of uh, like black professionals also. And you if you come to D.C., you'll notice that a lot of black people wear cowboy stuff. And the history behind that is because the cowboys represented progress. They would come here and play uh washington this is all well before my time they'd come here and play washington and beat them and had black players out there doing it and a lot of the fans around here kind of jumped on them because they were a successful team of the time and had a lot of black players so while a lot of people jump on the cowboys bandwagon because it's america's team for no good reason dc cowboys fans have a pretty damn good reason to be wear proudly wearing cowboys gear around this city I was talking to one of the parents of one of uh, one of my kids at a game the other day, and he was like, yeah, I'm a Cowboys fan because my dad and granddad explained to me that I didn't have a choice. Like, you're a Cowboys fan. And this was well after the the years when they integrated. But like, you don't have a choice. And when RG3 came in, there was like a little bit of people kind of moving back over. You could feel that D.C., like the black people of D.C. who like essentially make up the heart of the city. We're like, oh, this uh, this can be our team again. So I, I bring that all up to say, last time when the the Broncos were up, there was conversation about bringing in a black owner, uh, and it didn't come to fruition. There is no better opportunity and no better place and no better city from a like social standpoint than DC, and also from a financial standpoint. Like, I, I don't know. I imagine that people don't change their fan allegiances overnight, but I think it'd go a long way. <laughs> it'd go a long way for um, people around this city, the way that they spend their money and the way that they uh, commit to teams. So I don't know. Let's get to basketball unless you got any more questions for me about this. I'm excited. I'm, I, I didn't realize I was this excited until I was – picking up my dinner the other night and I found myself looking at my phone to see what time it was like, I got to get home to see the start of basketball season, which I think in part because we had so much basketball piled up on top of each other for the past like pandemic and plus I hadn't had a chance to really be excited about basketball, but I was excited before it happened, thinking about all the different teams that are in contention and we don't want to make this mistake again because we went over our theories episode and we talked about how there were so many really good teams in football and so many <laughs> teams could win the Super Bowl. And now we've come to the realization that actually it's the Chiefs or actually it's the Bills and the Chiefs and I guess maybe the Eagles and everybody else. It feels very basketball like. Yeah. And the NBA feels like, I don't know, it's the first time in a long time that it didn't feel like the conclusion was predetermined. And I, I have a lot of thoughts for about, about whether, whether that's good or bad or not for like the entertainment quality of all of this. But anyway, just generally I'm hyped for this season. Like I kind of care about who's going to win the MVP because there's no way Jokic does it three times in a row. I think Embiid wants it. Tatum last night, man, Tatum, that's a good way to start the season if you want it. And that's one thing that if he's going to be one of the all-time greats, which it seems like his resume is already stacking up pretty damn impressively for getting to that echelon, he's going to have to put a couple of MVPs 
under his belt. And this is around the age, around the time when you can be competitive for MBEs. You're not at the um at the rings portion of your all-time great career where you're just counting up rings, even though he doesn't have one yet. But this is this is a, a MVP type opportunity for him. Uh and uh and beat. And that's about it. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I think there are a few. There are a few. So we should talk about that game a little bit because Tatum was with played against Embiid on opening night. And I think you're right that there's almost no chance Jokic is going to third MVP. The last guy to win three MVPs was Larry Bird in the 80s. Hilarious that Michael and LeBron never never won three in a row. And it would be just a bit funny if Jokic won three this year, three in a row this year. But no, I mean, in that game, you you saw Tatum as the guy we saw before he injured his shoulder in the playoffs. And that is someone who can score from all three levels, is a dominant defender, um, and is drastically improving as a playmaker. Like he was a bad passer and a bad decision maker when he entered the NBA. And that's not the case anymore. Um, and right now, before Robert Williams comes back, before they totally figure out their role, get role guys on that roster, that's a seven man rotation. So Tatum's usage rate is going to be higher than it's ever been in his career, despite the fact that they have, you know, they added Brogdon, Jalen Brown is still improving. Marcus Smart likes to chuck it from time to time that he's, he is their best playmaker on that, on that team. So we're going to see his best statistical season. I was surprised that Brogdon came off the bench, but I guess that's a, a minor thing that doesn't really matter. Close. Much. He yeah. got minutes, but I assume that, I mean, I mean, I guess it's as a defensive guy, I should appreciate it because the only reason why you do that is for whites like, defense right it's i think it's uh so malcolm brogdon when he was drafted he fell in the draft because of foot injuries at virginia mm-hmm. and that's just plagued him i really think they're they're uh, trying to minute manage him gotcha. because yeah and like he's probably their third best player uh overall as a two-way player and i think that he will f- close all of those games but they they want to keep his minutes low because the only thing that matters with them they're at a point where they know they're going to be a second round and pass playoff team that's a fair point i don't you can't obviously make decisions about a team being out of it after their first game. Mm -hmm. However, the 76ers were like disappointing in the way that they were playing. Yes. It felt as if they did not address any of the reasons why we didn't like them in the playoffs last year. The only thing that was better was Harden scored more, but the way that he went about scoring is still the stuff that, that um, stops him up in the playoffs. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to spend. They're going to be a really tough watch. They're going to yeah, be a really tough watch. I don't want to spend year. too much time on these particular teams because I think there's okay. so much more to get to that. I, I want to talk about, but I texted you last night with Tyree Tyrese Maxey is out of control. And then he hit like five shots in a row, but like, it feels like he, he's, he's got such a little brother energy. Yeah. You know, yeah. where oh, yeah. it's like you go play and I was a little brother who my big brother was kind enough to take me to you were a little brother, too, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, take yeah. me to play ball with his friends. And I got the ball, man. I It wasn't rare when I got I mean, it wasn't uh, it was rare when I got the ball. So I was trying to get my shots off and I was also trying to show off. And it feels like he's at a point in his career where he I heard Van Gundy say that he could be a two or three on a good team, like a number two or three best player on a good team. And it feels like he realizes that also, and he's trying to show, which is another um, bad ingredient for a team that makes wants to make a deep run, you know? 
Well, so I think it, his is his is a little bit interesting because they're playing James Harden as their traditional point guard. Right. I, I say that in air quotes, traditional point guard, because he's so far from that. He runs the pick and roll. And he's a really good passer, but he's not what you think of as a, as a ball mover. And to me, Maxi is someone who's stuck in a stagnant offense because Embiid was playing so slowly. Harden was playing so slowly. And he sort of, to me, felt like someone who I have to get it and go or I'm not going to touch the ball a second right. time on this, on this possession. And that's always tough for young guys. But that's this is sort of the the issue I have with the Sixers. Like, you look at them on paper and they rebuilt that roster so well around those guys with P.J. Tucker and Melton. But to have it be play the exact same style, and actually I I didn't think that was a great Embiid game for what we got off the jump. He just didn't look he didn't look completely dominant. And that was the one advantage they really had. Like without Robert Williams out there, who was being guarded by Noah Vonley and Al Horford, and they're doubling him with smaller guys. Um, and so that, that was a bit disappointing, but I, I, I would not write them off, but I would also be very surprised if Daryl Morey didn't address this roster going forward and make it fit even better. Um, yeah, I would, they, they still have. Moves I don't to see. Make. That's where that's where you and I disagree is. I don't think the problems with the roster. I think the problem is with the style. And yeah, and um, yeah, it's with Doc and I don't know. I I'm hesitant to like write Doc off altogether because he's obviously has some value, and I think part of his value is his connection to the players, which I think is hugely important in basketball. It's a lot more important in basketball than any other sport because the players have so much power, influence, and uh, are so valuable that like, yeah, you need to have a good relationship with your players. So like, I don't want to write that off, but it does feel like the issues with the team last year have not gone away and they aren't overwhelming enough to just like talent wise to just blow teams out. We saw that last night. So like, I, and they're I'm, they're going to be a fifty win team. We should be clear about that. This is not like we're not we're not saying they're bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, we're going to get um, uh, social media hate either way. So you, you don't got to try to explain to these dummies that that we're not dummies. <laughs> <laughs> I know okay. they're going to be good, but like it's what's interesting to me about having all these teams is trying to figure out who's going to be championship ready, and maybe they'll develop things as they go deeper in the season. But I would have assumed that the whole off season would have been around. Uh, getting a more sophisticated offense, but I guess it's also like the parts you're given and the part that they have is, is a James Harden who's at the tail end of his career. And part of that is like, how can we best use James Harden and, uh, and Embiid? And maybe that's like ISO and high pick and roll. Yeah, I mean, I'm not actually that worried about their offense long term. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be a tough, tough watch. There's going to be a ton of flopping from Harden and Embiid. But to me, it's like you saw Marcus Smart sort of punk Joel Embiid in game. Like he was, he was very physical with him in his face and not afraid of him whatsoever. And like that's that's the dichotomy of these two teams. The Celtics are the much tougher team. And you would have thought you have PJ Tucker, you have Embiid, you have DeAnthony Melton, and even Maxi, who physically should be a dominant defender, you should be able to build a lineup that is impossible defense. to score yeah. on. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and like and you look at the Celtics, that's that's what the Celtics did. And that's that's what would elevate. I them. think you're right. I, I got suckered into staring only at the offense. They can score enough points, even if it's not the way that I want to see it scored. Um uh, the adjustments that'll take place in the playoffs. They have two players that are so good offensively that even if they play gross basketball, they can score enough points. But can they stop the opponents enough to uh, to to win the game? And 
I'm not sure that they can, not when the opponents are moving the ball and have as many good players as a team like the Celtics. And depending on what happens with the the Nets, maybe the Nets too. So, yeah, uh, I really have more to say, but we got to get off of them. We got to get on to some we'll other teams. We'll come back to them. A lot of Sixers stock this season. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Um, so the Warriors are going to win the championship, right? Like, I mean, well, first of all, they look awesome. LeBron James, Lakers, we said it. We've met our ESPN contractual responsibilities to make sure that we say the Lakers. Yeah, did you hear LeBron's quote? About how... Um, they don't have any shooters, no lasers out there. And then he, he brought it over into my domain and said, we got a bunch of receivers that run underneath routes. And it's amazing. And Tom amazing. Brady can win like that. But yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. I mean, that team, the bummer is that Anthony Davis actually looked great. Yeah. It's just the rest of the roster. And that's like, I, I really wanted to see an aggressive fit Anthony Davis. And if he plays like that all, all year, I mean, sure, they're a playing team, but they're so bad three through 15 on that roster. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's it's weird to have a guy who's as talented as he he is and won a championship and still feels like he has not reached his potential. But I mean, injuries will do that to you and junk rosters in New Orleans and now in LA will do that to a Unbelievable. career. Unbelievable. Yeah, do that to a career also because he's not any less talented. Whenever we see him healthy, you see him out there, you're like, damn. Yeah. You know, like except for last year. Last year was tough. He was sluggish last year, but I mean, yeah. he's injuries last year too, right? Yeah, it's like yeah, injuries and heavy. Yeah, there's no, yeah, he got all muscular on us, which is normally a good thing, but maybe not in basketball. But yeah, the the Lakers will talk about them when they finally make this trade that everyone's talking about when they get to midseason and people want to go all in on the victor and somebody be willing to accept the expiring Westbrook and whatever draft picks to give the Lakers, some shooters. So, yeah, we'll come back to that at some point. LeBron's still LeBron. He's incredible. Um, Yeah, the Warriors. So mm-hmm. they look like almost unbeatable, which I know sounds stupid, but – and I know the first night, and I know the Lakers aren't good, but they have everything that they had last year, and now they're adding Wiseman. And they're adding DiVincenzo, which I know DiVincenzo is not like a great player, but like he's a guy who can have who has had like legitimate playoff minutes. Uh, even though the Bucks, the year the Bucks won it, he was hurt, I think. Right. 
I think he was hurt the year Bucks won. He injured his ankle in the first right. round of the playoffs. But previous seasons, he was like a contributor in the playoffs, uh, a capable defender, uh, three and D guy, essentially. Like that's another guy that they can have in this recipe. And Jordan Poole, obviously they're committed to him because of his scoring ability, but he kind of got played off the floor because of his defense at different times in the playoffs. And yeah. it'll be interesting to see how, how much better he's gotten at that and how they address that when we get to the playoffs. I keep projecting way to the future. I, I, I can't, I got to stop doing that, but that stuff is what I'm most excited about. But I do want to see how Wiseman develops. He already seems like a difference maker to me. Yeah. And I mentioned this, I think it was on Debatable, I mentioned this, that Wiseman is maybe the answer to Draymond Green. And Steve Kerr yeah, he seems... Was. He certainly was on opening night. Yeah. And Steve Kerr seems like... So he. I don't think he can be the answer, the complete answer. Because from what I understand, Draymond's... His defense is not on, only his contribution physically, but it's his contribution mentally and vocally. And uh, we can't expect Wiseman to come in there and be the point guard of the defense. But physically, I think he can do just about, maybe he won't be as good on the perimeter if he gets switched as Draymond, but he can do just about uh, as much as Draymond. I don't see a huge drop-off Ooh. there. No. Ooh, that's right. Like I think Draymond. So I, I, I was pretty encouraged by Wiseman too, and just as a as a big roller, mm-hmm. he's so big. Uh, he has yeah, great hands, yeah. and but like I mean, he was minus eleven playing with the bench unit, and mm-hmm. I Curry wasn't on the floor, and Curry obviously tilts those numbers immensely, so I don't really take that. But like to me, Draymond's more than he's like a litmus test for how you view the Warriors team basketball, because he's such a good ball mover and screen setter offensively that it can, yeah. in, it can negate so many of his problems. And defensively, I mean, he's one of the five or six best defensive players in the history of basketball. And he was when it really mattered in the postseason last year. I don't um, disagree with that at all, but I guess maybe yeah. I'm making an argument that's based on like relativity is yeah. I think the distance between peak Draymond or this version of Draymond's defensive contribution, I think mm-hmm. a defensive scheme built around Wiseman's assets yeah. drops their defense a bit from having Draymond out there. However, I think that the the big loss might be on the other end of the floor because of Draymond's intelligence. I was watching a bunch of like old or not old, but YouTube videos about uh, the Golden State Warriors offense. And it really makes you feel so like football is an incredibly complex game. And we look at us football players, look at other sports and like "Eh, whatever, like it's pretty simple. Like there's one position in basketball and it's called basketball player. It's like tall basketball player, short basketball player. Like maybe there's like wings, bigs and guards, but like generally everyone passes, everyone shoots, everyone plays defense, everyone rebounds. Football is very different and it lends to a bunch of like complexity. Like the idea that I played the same game as Jeff Saturday. You look at us next to each other, you'd be like, what? Like that's to the point of how complex the game is. But when you watch how many decisions are made in the course of a game and when you're just watching a game for fun, you're like, Draymond got a free layup. Nice job. Or like, Steph got an open three. How the hell do you let that happen? 
And like so often it's Draymond as the like fulcrum of those decisions that the offense is going to have to change because his value on that end, it's no way that it can be replicated by Wiseman. So that's the thing that, and now I'm projecting way, way in the future, but that's the thing they're going to have to figure out if this dynasty is going to continue, because I don't think, I think I, I have to accept that, what is being like discussed around Draymond is true that he's not long for this team and he may not get that big time contract that he wants. Yeah. And so I, th- I think you're right. I think that's a really good point about the way that they play offense, the, the three of them together, Curry Thompson and Draymond is, is so special and so spectacular. I not going to go back and pretend I know like these great units from the eighties, but certainly since I've been watching basketball seriously, the three of them as like a three headed decision-making team is, is better than anything. Like we always say that team Draymond's the point guard, not Steph. Yeah. Steph's also the point guard. Right, the three right, of right. them make so many good decisions and make so many correct decisions in offense and defense. And people say have, have long said that Draymond is a massive key to that. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting what they do with Wiseman, I would not be shocked to go either way where he ends up in the starting lineup over Looney or he ends up being traded for a piece that can help them right now on this team, because if he really rehabilitates his value, um, that'd be interesting. And and they played Moody eight minutes in that game and Kaminga 13 minutes. They're really Wiseman seems at the top of that heap of young guys who they want to develop and play so far early in the season. Um, but the Draymond thing is fascinating because he had a really quiet opening night. It was weird with everything going on with him and Jordan Poole. And they were never in the same shot during the ring ceremony, et cetera, et cetera. But he showed up in a like a ridiculous green, green suit yelling green. about his money. And they dropped the trailer for his 10-minute documentary about punching Jordan Poole. And that was so bizarre. It Honestly, like, Draymond Green is one of the, like, few people for a really long time. I thought was a very genuine professional athlete. And then he drops this trailer being like, I didn't know this was going to blow up. And then there's like B roll of him hugging children of Draymond hugging children. I was like, this is ridiculous. This is a weird controlling of the narrative from like a really narcissistic point of view that I didn't expect from Draymond. And that, that to me is a weird thing looming over all of this is like, is Draymond getting weird and will that eventually affect the team? And that might be stupid because he's so good, but I don't know. I mean, getting weird is an uh, interesting thing. So, like, it's it's hard to discuss all this stuff around Draymond because yeah, I, I we think, don't know everything. Yeah, and I and I think that he's different. <laughs> I think it's like the the most respectful way I can put it is he's a little different, and mm-hmm. as far as the way that he operates, and I think those differences are the reason why someone as undersized as he is can be like a future hall of famer at this position. But I do think that it comes with other challenges and those yeah. challenges have not derailed the team. But I think I was very shocked that he showed up behaving like nothing had happened. You know it's very I mean? like, strange. I, I could have strange. If, if he didn't have this pool incident, I could have expected Draymond to do all this stuff this season, but the, the dynamics changed and he's still like i'm gonna be this guy so like that that's interesting i guess and and potentially concerning but i who knows what's happening in that locker room he'll they'll probably be fine 
Um, I think I, the question is almost, do you think he's going to become more erratic or, or stay the same? Because if yeah. he stays the same, we know it's fine. But if he, if this is like the tipping point of him becoming more erratic, it could actually become an issue for this team that looks to be, at least aesthetically, probably one of the best two or three teams we're going to see all season. Yeah. And I mean, if he feels like he's not being appreciated or he's on his way out or this is his final run, like, who who can predict how he'll react or respond to that? So it's a big test for like Steph Curry's leadership, I guess. <laughs> um going forward. But um we'll see. I I'd be surprised if they traded Wiseman though. Like I, I know it's they might need a piece or something, but it seems like, especially based on the idea that this dynasty is gonna continue and yeah. they're one of the few teams that have been able to to build for the future and the present. And mm-hmm. yeah, moving off of Wiseman, who is their best young piece right now, seems like it's just such a it's me. just such a weird season because if there are teams, if you don't think Wiseman's going to affect winning this year, but he's an asset you want, and you have a guy who might get you more wins, this is the year to trade him when you want to get that fourteen percent chance at Vic or that twenty percent chance at Vic or Scoot. Um, well, nobody. And uh, if, I don't know. You think I, I'd be shocked if a team would trade for Wiseman and give up uh, one of those high. Oh, they wouldn't give up the pick. They'd oh, be okay. giving up a, like a, an asset, a, a theoretical asset. Oh, I, okay, I, gotcha. I, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Like a, uh, a, a mid-level, a wing, someone who can fill needs immediately for the, for the Warriors. Um, I, I don't think it would be, you know, a Bradley Beal type, but someone a, a, a notch down from that where you can cash in these chips and potentially become like a juggernaut for, for a couple more years. Bradley Beal is the only no trade clause this year. Yeah. in the NBA, so it won't be him. Um, I wanted to talk about the T-Wolves. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not like a, there's a lot of other teams that are closer to championships, have better odds and bigger stars and a more interesting uh nationally but this team is really interesting to me and we talked about this a bunch on debatable i mean i thought the the trade for rudy gobert was foolish they gave away a lot for this player i would have thought it wasn't foolish for certain teams but for this team in particular like i'm looking forward to um watching the t-wolves play because i don't know how they're going to figure out how to play Rudy and Kat at the same time and transition to Anthony Edwards, like really being, I mean, I guess that transition already took place in the playoffs last year where it felt like Ant was the guy, right? Like it seems like he's the number one. So maybe that's not as interesting, but like how all this stuff happens. Cause I, I can't for the life of me and me, you, Pablo and and Wozni Lambry were talking about it and everyone else seemed to think that it was something that could be figured out. But for the life of me, I can't figure out how you survive in the playoffs with two big men or in the modern NBA playoffs with twin towers that are not both two way players. And yeah, until I see them do this against because people are going to go small against Rudy Gobert because that's what they do. And they play Rudy off the floor because he's, because he's a, a offensive liability, so they don't have to guard him, and that makes it your it jams up your offense. So I just don't get it. Because like if if um Carl Anthony Towns is the biggest man on the floor, which he has been for a while, uh, and he's not a great perimeter defender or a great 
rim protector. You can build up around him with better defenders because his offensive value is so high that it's worth it. But if you put him out there against a small lineup, presumably you would want to have Rudy Gobert against the other team's center, which would hopefully keep him closer to the basket so he can protect the rim, which puts <laughs> puts Carl Anthony Towns uh, on a three, a four, depending on how big or small the other team goes. And, and that's going to be miserable for Carl Anthony Towns in that in that situation. And so it just, I don't know, they're going to play zone? I don't, I don't really know. I, I don't get it. So until somebody, I, I asked um, Legler this morning, I was hanging out with him at Get Up, and I, I gave him some homework. I was like, explain to me how this is going to work. So I can, I, I am a little bit higher on this for, for now. I don't think it was a great long-term move. I think that the timelines don't totally line up of when Anthony Edwards is going to peak and obviously an older Rudy Gobert who we don't know how his game is going to age because he's gigantic. Um, but the fit I'm not as worried about with Gobert offensively. And the reason I say that is because Cat, you know, we mock him for saying I'm the best big man shooter of all time. And so he's ignoring, you know, Dirk Nowitzki and Kevin Durant and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he is an excellent three-point shooter, and that's where he wants to drift around the perimeter. Um, so the spacing will be there. Uh, and I'm I'm looking per clean the glass the times he's played big possessions at power forward and says center. And they are a couple points better defensively with him at power forward. And those numbers will be amplified with Gobert because Gobert makes every unit he's in better defensively, period, and f- full stop. Sorry, Charlie, let me stop you. The regular season stats are going to be very different. I'm not worried yeah, about them of in course. the regular season. I think that um, regular season stats in basketball are have some value, but it's it's very limited because I do think that in football, you have a full week to com- commit yourself to preparing for a game on Sunday. And oh, then in well, the playoffs, you have a full week to commit yourself to a game, prepare yourself for a game on Sunday. Basketball, it's very different. It's very different in the playoffs. We should go here with the playoff stats for these guys because you're right. If you're just, we're just going to play. The reason I say regular season, I do think the regular season will be more important this year. There's so many good teams in the West that getting a high seed and getting out of that plane does matter. Okay. Um, and that's part of what they're going for. But Cat has been abominable in the playoffs and Gobert has gotten played off the floor. Cat to me is like, the question is, is can he be better as a number two? Because that's what has to happen this year. Anthony Edwards has to elevate to be the best player in the team and he'll be 21, 22 years old. And can he do that? Can he be a true A1? Because Cat has been, I mean, I don't have his game logs ahead of me, but it's been, it has been gross. He's gotten carried in every single playoff, carried or disappeared in every single playoff game he's been in. So, and that's my question is when they get to the playoffs, because you don't make that type of trade. That's a, that's a make a run for a championship type of thing. And I guess for the Timberwolves, it's more like make a run for relevancy. I don't know if anybody outside that building believes that they're going to win a championship, but it would be a failure if, I mean, they don't get to the second round, right? They don't win a series. I feel like that trade was, and that's a low bar for amount of of capital they gave up. Getting to the second round is a low ass bar for them. But anyway, the point is the stats, even though the stats probably helped me out, I don't even care about it as much as I just want somebody to explain to me how it's going to work. And I haven't found, and to be fair to, to, to legs, I had to run to the train before the show was over. So maybe he could, he could figure it out, but I haven't found a person yet 
who can explain to me how this doesn't or how this works offensively and defensively between these two guys, because I just don't see how one of them isn't in such a bad position and it's not easy to coach them into bad positions on both sides of the floor. And your point about Carl Anthony Towns shooting. Yeah, he can shoot. That'll spread the floor, spread the floor for, for, or that'll space the floor, space the floor for what? Cause like, it's not like he's going to be the, the like ball handler and they got a bunch of shooters around. And also because Rudy Gobert is can't make shots consistently away from the basket, then that's an extra defender on that side of the ball. And then you go to the other end of the floor and at some point, Carl Anthony Towns is going to be in a bad matchup. And it's not even the, the thing that really gets me is normally to get a bad matchup. You got to run people through screens and pick and screen. No, his matchup is going to be a bad matchup. <laughs> yeah. So like yeah. until somebody explains it to me and, and styles make fights. So maybe they'll get lucky and they'll stumble into some teams that, have players that that uh match up well against them but i don't think you got that I mean, answer the, anyway no no i mean the only thing is it goes back to the fact that i this has to be the transition year is can anthony edwards play high pick and roll with rudy gobert as the screener because in theory that should work with a guy that athletic who should draw that much attention going to the basket and having a roller like gobert but we shall see because I am with you. Any team with Carl Anthony Towns on it, I'm not going to take that seriously as a playoff contender. But high, high pick and roll, they they can drop off of it because Rudy can't shoot. So like, yeah, you can high pick and roll with Carl Anthony Towns and it's dangerous because it's like somebody who can shoot. So like you have to play tight on them. So like that's the point is like they can drop off of off of Rudy Gobert or they can trap off of Rudy Gobert because what are you going to do? Force him to pass to Rudy and then make Rudy the decision maker. Yeah. That's a good defense right there. If we get a possession where the key decision every time down the floor is getting it out of ants hand and making it Rudy Gobert, you are in hell. <laughs> so like, yeah. Unless and you're he's neutralizing. Lob. Unless he's a lob guy. Yeah. So yeah, he has to be the lob guy. So it's anyway. All right. We're, we're, um, we're in he deep on that. so far in the weeds on that one. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. 
Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. So, uh, all right, we I feel like we're getting near the end of the time. So, if there's not any other big, and we got plenty of time to talk more basketball. So, if there's mm-hmm. not any other big basketball ideas that that are worth talking about, um, we can go to our bets. Ooh, what do you let's think? Do it. Oh, I got a. I think Jeff Saturday's name was in my mind because he's a fan of the show and he mocked us. He listened to the last episode and he made fun of us because I don't remember exactly how we said it, but I guess you said we should have been four and zero when we were two and two last week. And he was laughing like that's what all gamblers say. It's like, well, technically we aren't gamblers. We just pick games and don't actually bet on them. But and I and I try and he's not a gambler either. Uh, but I was explaining to him, which I think is true, being two games over right now or two bets over is like actually good. Like nine and seven yeah. is actually good gambling, right? Yeah. Okay. So shut up, Jeff. We, we know what we're doing. As long as we are in the green, we're good. We're getting there. Yeah. Well, we don't we don't really know if we're in the green because we just you, kept with the big and the odds. Yeah. yeah. We just keep track of our record. But anyway, all right. What bets we got today? So. Bears Patriots under 40.5. Uh, this is just a bet on the fact that the Patriots defense is now really good. The Bears offense is still putrid and the Patriots are going to want to slow this, this game down, run the ball with Ramondre Stevenson, keep it simple for Bailey's happy. Um, yeah. You know, Bill Belichick like, against struggling offenses, always yeah. a good bet. Um, and they're at home too. And yeah, uh, give him a chance at a quarterback who clearly has not figured it out yet. Um, and a team that needs some help, I think it's a, a good safe bet. But I was about to point out the fact that I think our first couple of weeks, I was an asset to the betting because like I pushed you off of some things or changed your mind on some things that ended up being right. But the last couple of weeks, you just come in with good bets that I like. So we got to find a way that I can, maybe I need to come with my own bets too, because yeah. And last the two and two week, you're responsible for that. We'll each bring two and two. Yeah. I mean, look, at, I, I bet on Carson Wentz. Look at, look at, look, look what that did. Uh, next one is I got Chiefs minus three at the 49ers. I just think it's a bounce back spot and the 49ers struggling offensively. Um, yeah. I think that's fair. And the um, 49ers defense, the front four is like the catalyst for all of that. And they were weakened by injury in last week's game. So I'm with you. I like the Chiefs. Mahomes with time terrifying so that's it we only got two this week that's all i got this week i like it's it. a weird slate it is a weird slate yeah it's uh we got some some interesting buys this week yeah you're right there's not much out here the bills aren't a buy you can normally trust them i don't know yeah you want to take your commanders they're going up against the packers nope are you still a fan sure don't Stay away from all of it. I could be a fan when Daniel sells and Snyder sells. I could come back. We'll see. They've changed the name. They're clearing the way to welcome you home. All right, Charlie. I appreciate you as usual. Big thanks to Christina Buswell, Adi Khan, Sarah Abbott for all your work. And thank you guys for listening. See you next time. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.